You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. I came into this church probably like most of you. I came in back when it was C3 Church maybe eight years ago. You know, I, I knew about God, had never really engaged, and I got exposed to the environment that we have here. My whole world got shifted. And what's interesting is... I, I actually spent the first 20 years of my life as an atheist. I, I knew of religion, hated it, but I found that I was lonely. And so it's very fitting now that our role as a Connect Pastor is to help people find community. But when I came in, I wasn't necessarily saying, oh, I need to get off drugs, I need to get out of this. No, honestly, I just needed people and I needed purpose. And so what I love about our church is we find ways to fuel you so far into that, to the point where we really make it a big point that we love bringing people into the kingdom. That is such a starting point. So a couple things to know about me. Uh, My beautiful wife is here, Rosanna. We have, yes, it's true. I did tithe, and now that's why we're together. Uh, Speaking of the blessings that we heard in the the offering message, uh, we have an eight-month-old daughter, uh, Adeline. You can see her in Kids Church. She loves everyone, which is really useful. You can say, here, you take her for a bit. Uh, A couple other things. So if you see me kind of moving about and shaking, I'm not quite glitching. I I have Tourette's. Does anyone know what Tourette's is? Uh, I just pretend that the music was still playing in the background. And if you've ever heard Tourette's uh, popularized on TV, you know, you'll usually hear them cursing. And for for the sake of argument, just pretend I do that too. So that if anything slips out during today's talk, just say, bless his heart, he can't help it. And that'll make life easier on all of us. So I love just getting that out there. Uh, I am a nerd. Vince alluded to it. I'm someone who, who really likes to think about things, but then also just get nerdy. I love, I've dragged my wife to every Marvel property that's ever come out, every Star, you know, so I'm that guy who's like, yeah, I'm, I'm totally a nerd. And I'm trying to be cooler. Like, I wish I would have ripped my jeans in advance and borrowed Vince's sweater. <laughs> But hopefully you'll still accept me as, as cool enough to, to be on this stage. Uh, and like I said, I wasn't raised in religion. I'm not very good at religion. I'm actually really bad at it. So a lot of the perspective that I bring is a fresh look at what's kingdom. And I hope to bring that to you today. Because honestly, we've done a great job. Who was here last week for the 3 by 10 Come on. So you heard awesome words on the testimonies and the power of Connect. And our pastors here talked about what we're doing today and why you need to get connected. And so really just to give the ending away, my message is getting a connect group. But I've got a few minutes to fill. So how about we go on a a little bit of a journey to understand the underpinnings of why connect is so important. Does that work for you? All right, so it starts with this. I want you to look to your neighbor. Who was your first pick? To the person on the other side, apologize. You didn't look to them first. All right, now, now you've probably changed your decision, so look at that person. And the question we're going to start with today is this. Ask them, why are you here? Really, why are you here? Did you think about that? I mean, the slopes are open. It's, it's brunch time. Oh my gosh, who loves brunch? I love brunch. So, so you could be at home, on the couch, snuggled up, watching Disney+. Plus. You could be doing all these different things right now. And yet you're here. You didn't just come once. You came back. 
So why is that? And I venture that it's because you're hungry. And again, not hungry for brunch. That You can do that afterwards. We're doing, we'll have some food in the lobby. But you came here because you're hungry. And the odds are you came, you found salvation, right? You found Jesus. You found out that there's hope. But you didn't come the one time, get saved and go home again. I'm good. You're still in these seats. Who's been here longer than three weeks? Why are you still here? Could it be that you're hungry for the fulfillment of everything that God has spoken? And maybe even the things you don't know yet. You just know that there's more for you in this life. Is that what could have brought us in? Because the truth is, if you heard that, you're right. And the reason that we keep coming back is because there is more over a life. And I actually want to go through some of this. So some of these I'll paraphrase, some of these I'll camp on. In Genesis chapter 1, God gives Adam and Eve a commission. He says, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion, right? If we skip ahead, we, well, he talks about having dominion, right? Our job is to actually be the authority on this earth. That's a pretty big deal that we're called to be the highest authority on this earth. If you go to Matthew 5, 13 and 14, to paraphrase, you're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. I, not, not God. He's saying you are. You can take my light. I can season you to go out. In 1 Peter 2.9, it says you're a royal priesthood bringing salvation to others. And my favorite verse is Romans 8, 14 through 17. Let's go through this one together. Cool. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Indeed, we suffer with him, we'll rule with him. So you know what this verse is saying? When you accepted Jesus, you actually became a child of heaven. Okay? Now, I don't know if you know who your father is, but he's the king of kings. Come on, And I don't know if you caught that, but it says that you're an heir of everything that's the king of kings. And I don't know if you've ever thought about heaven, but they got a few resources. So if you think about this, when you step into following Jesus, you just have access to the entire throne room of heaven. You are so awesome that God said, I trust you to bring heaven to earth. You ever heard the verse that says, I give you the keys of the kingdom? Well, if you have the keys why would you knock? It turns out that you are so awesome that God so loves you that he put all authority upon you. He put all, all freshness, all light upon you. He gave heaven to you. That means you're pretty awesome. Would anyone agree with that? Does, does this feed anyone's like, hey, there must be more? Is this what you thought the more was? Now, here's the thing. Who struggles to believe that over themselves? I, I do. Yeah. And it, Jesus knows that we struggle to believe it. See, see, God declared these things over us, and he also knew that we'd struggle to believe it. Yeah. it. It's true. And whether or not we admit it, we know that God is not mad at us that we don't get it. He's like, awesome. I want to bring you on this journey of restoring identity. Yeah. And so if you look any time in the Gospels, Jesus heals things, and he does things on the outside but he never does just the outside thing. So if you take a look at Mark 2, 3 through 12, this is the story of the four friends who lowered their crippled friend through the roof. Does everyone know this story? Yes. Yes. Right? So there's a crowded house. Jesus was in there preaching. 
Everyone's loving it. And these four friends realize, okay, our, our dude needs some help. He's, he's crippled. He can't walk. We love him. Let's just get him to Jesus. So they climb up on the roof. They rip a hole in the roof. Whoever owns the house is just loving this. You know, that's where they started using Jesus Christ is, you know, they're looking at him thinking this is all your fault. No, don't take blasphemy seriously on that. But, but they lower their friend down. And do you know the first thing that Jesus says to that man? He says, clearly he's looking at him. This dude is paralyzed on a mat, being lowered down to the ground from a roof. And he says, you, your sins are forgiven. Why would he say that? I mean, if you're the, the guy on the mat, you're like, okay, this really isn't helpful. But Jesus turns around and says to everyone in the room, because he knows what they're thinking. He's like, if I have the power, like what's easier, the power to, you know, to forgive sins or the power to heal? But so that you know I have the power to forgive sins, you are healed. And what you notice is that in this culture, back in that day, People thought that if you had an infirmity, someone in your family sinned. In fact, sin was what caused you to be sick. And so what Jesus was doing, he said, yeah, yeah, I'm going to heal your physical needs, but I also need to heal the stigma that's been over your life the whole time. So what Jesus did is he didn't just restore his body. He restored his identity. He allowed that man to reenter community because how could you get a healing? You're still a sinful man. Well, Jesus took care of the sin as well. See, Jesus is all about identity. Or in John 9, 1 through 8, remember the blind guy and Jesus spat in the ground, made mud, slapped it on his face? Now, why would he do that? Notice Jesus only ever did that miracle once. Because if he, if he used mud to heal someone's eyes twice, we'd have holy mud baths and like on the side, like come dip in the mud. No, so why is that? And in fact, even in this verse, Peter himself says, you know, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents? Well, I don't know if you know this, but back in the day, if you were a beggar, so this man was blind, he wore a beggar's robe, and he sat on the side of the road. It's perfectly acceptable to walk by someone and spit in disgust. So this whole life, this man has been spat at as a beggar. And now here comes Jesus, and he spits. But he used the spit to not just heal his eyes, but to heal him. Does that make sense? So he healed his body, but he did it in such a way where he said, what has is, what is cursed you all these years wow. is now actually going to be your healing and your restoration. So if you notice these things, Jesus is always about looking at what he can do in us because he can bring us to a point of healing. But like I said, there's way more calling on us than just getting healed and saved. We are called to be the light of the world, the salt to the earth, heirs of heaven. You guys tracking with me? So a little side note on that for you guys. If, if you're stuck waiting for an external breakthrough, it might be worth asking, Jesus, wait, are you trying to restore something in me first? And this isn't every time, but it is worth asking. If I'm stuck, what could I be missing that Jesus wants to do in me? Does that make sense? Is this okay? Are we going at an okay level? Is this too deep? Should I come up for air? All right, so discipleship begins after you get saved. It's really a matter of, are you ready to become who you're meant to be? That's what discipleship asks. So what was the biblical model of discipleship? All right, so back in the day, Jesus would get on a mountain 
or he'd get on a boat and he'd speak to all these crowds, right? Can you imagine if that was today, if he booked out Vivint Arena? Mm. You know, you're in there and the lights are down. All of a sudden, the lights go down, the lasers come up, there's fire coming out of the different sides. You hear on the microphone, are you ready to humble? You know, and Jesus comes down on his cloud, high-fiving people through the stands. And he has this awesome show, and everyone gets... Now, that would be awesome. I'd go to that. But the reality is, when you looked in the Gospels, and when Jesus had these massive moments, were those discipling moments? Because Jesus had followers who heard him. But who's being discipled? It turns out that the disciples were those who actually walked with him. You know, if, if you think about it like this, Jesus loved himself some parables, right? Did you ever notice that every parable Jesus spoke was in the context of something the disciples were observing? They would see something, and he would explain it as a parable. And then they'd see that, or he'd perceive the thoughts in the room. And all of his parables tied to something that happened in the course of life. Because the truth is, you can't pre-teach all of life's lessons. I don't have the attention span to learn it. I don't have the memory to retain it. But anything that I learn by doing, I notice that I retain it. Is that the same for anyone else in this room? Uh, because, listen, faith without, faith without works is dead. So if you don't have the opportunity to exercise faith, do you really have it? That's why discipleship has to be walked out. It has to be tested. It has to be tried. The disciples asked Jesus questions. That he saw what they were seeing. And the way that they grew and became disciples is because they walked in this beautiful rhythm. And so don't get me wrong. We love Sundays. Sundays are amazing. We come together. We worship. We pray. We celebrate. We have fun. We get to hang out with each other. There's power here. Uh, you can be there personally getting touched by God. But what happens when you go home? Does it come home with you? You know, you have to solidify this experience through your experience. And so I want to put this in perspective, okay? Old Testament Israel, they're slaves in Egypt. And then a bunch of things happen. The 10 plagues, those are crazy. We won't go into those. Then they cross the Red Sea miraculously. Then they enter the desert and there's fire by night and a cloud by day. And there's food growing out of the ground. And there's water coming out of rocks and their shoes never wear out, which I wish happened to me. <laughs> And all these different things. The Israelites are there for every miracle. They're showing up on Sunday. They have the testimony. They were there when Pastor Vince prayed and this happened. And yet, an entire generation of people who knew God's miracles firsthand never made it to their promised land. So it turns out that there's a promise over you. And I love what Psalm 103.7 says. See, God made his ways known to Moses his acts to the children of Israel. And that's really what we're talking about. See, Israel was relying on Moses' faith. They were there for the moments. They came on Sunday. But it was Moses who had the connection to God. And even being here and receiving may not be enough for you to fulfill every promise over your heart. It's we have to all learn God's ways. And so we're in the New Testament. And that's good news. We all get access to talk to God. We all have access to get to know him, to get to know his ways. You know, I don't want to be someone who just knows about God. I want to know God. And I, here's the thing. I don't want to just learn from my pastors. I want to learn like my pastors. Yeah, that's so good. And I want you guys to be empowered. 
that the way that your pastors know God is the way that you can know them. In fact, the way that I got where I am, listen, 20 years an atheist, no religious experience, no Bible college, and I'm up here preaching and teaching or whatever you want to call it, and the way that my life is so blessed is I decided, hey, if Pastor Jurgen can do that, I bet you I can do it. I bet you if he can learn it a certain way, I think I could too. And I challenge myself to say, I don't want to learn from him as much as I want to learn like him. And my life has been forever changed because I got in the game there. And so discipleship is found in the rhythms of life. That's where I want the band back up. You know, not not really. uh, (laughs) We have to know God's ways and the way he moves. And that's why today's message is called, I like the way you move. You know, and if any of you think back to early 2000s, there's a certain song, kind of gets you grooving. I think you know what I'm talking about. Please don't make me sing it. No, no, nope, nope, not going there. Vince has offered to sing it at the end of service uh, to usher in the Holy Spirit. But truthfully, the, the theme song of every disciple should be, God, I like the way you move. Not just what you do, not just what's ahead of me, but it's in the rhythms of grace. Does that make sense? And so when we talk about connection, why connection matters? We talked about this is the model Jesus did. He had his 12 and they had theirs and the whole church just completely exploded because of connection, right? Discipleship happens through relationship. So you can only be discipled by someone who knows you. You can't be discipled by a podcast. You can't be discipled from, from a seat in here if no one's actually looking at your life. Because discipleship is someone who knows you and who walks with you and can point things out. It doesn't even have to be a pastor. Figure that. It has to be someone who's already been where you're going, sometimes physically, sometimes spiritually. Listen, I don't know every form of pain, but I do know how to combat fear with faith. Yeah. And, you know, that's who our Connect leaders are. They're people who've walked through some stuff. They've gotten discipled, still getting things wrong, still growing. But the point is they've learned how to fight And they've decided they want to impart that. They want to walk with you. They want to teach you, even as they're growing, to walk through the rhythms of life. And and maybe that's you. Maybe you've conquered some victories in the spirit. Mm. Hey, maybe being a connect leader is on your life. Mm. Maybe you have a calling to bring people along, not because you've mastered it, but because you've learned something that can be imparted. That's the nature of discipleship. In fact, it doesn't even have to be one person who disciples you. Peer-to-peer is fantastic. Listen, one friend can help you in your prayer life, one in your finances, one in your relationships, one in your seasons of lack and overcoming. You know, that's why connect groups are so powerful because you get around a bunch of people who aren't you. And that's hard for some of us. (laughs) But you get a diversity of thought. You get to share from everyone's perspectives and pull on what they've gone through. And there's food. So I'll always go to a Connect that's serving me food because, let's be honest, we love that Connect is as much relational as it is discipleship. And that's where this model comes in. So going back to the early church, right, in Acts uh, 2.42, it says, they continually, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. If we jump ahead to verse 46, so continuing daily and with one accord in the temple, Breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Come 
So one, you notice they're having fun. They're going house to house with gladness. Like, I, I don't really like to over-spiritualize gladness. It's like, yay, there too full, brother. I am happy and content in the Lord. No, it's, it's like, glad. They had fun. They had dinner parties. They got together. They hung out. They talked about God. They talked about life. And if you notice, that's what added people to the church. It actually says right here, and the Lord added to the church daily. In the sentence following, they met together with gladness and simplicity of heart and food. <laughs> So that's pretty cool that the early church grew out of connection. And they would gather because God is always doing a corporate movement. The reason we come together on a Sunday is actually for a corporate move. We can't take a city unless we're all bound together. We need to be in one family here. But in my personal life, I am empowered through the people who know me. Does that make sense? So I love what C.S. Lewis says on the four loves. Anyone ever read that book? So he talks about this idea that we sometimes don't want to share the people we love with other people. Mm. Now, that can be people in your world. It can also be God. We can be afraid to share God because I'll get less of him. If I have to go listen to one more discussion where someone's piping off about their issues in life, it's distracting from my growth with God. Mm. Well, no. What C.S. Lewis says is we get more out of something when more people are in the mix. See, I can only get so much out of my wife. And sometimes I, she doesn't like what I draw out of her. But that's a different story. <laughs> but the truth is there are others who can draw things out of her that I could never. And by sharing her with others, not, I not only find more about her, she gets brought to the surface and we all bring more out of each other. You get more of the person yeah. when you share them. You get more out of God yeah. when you talk to him with others. Yeah. When you talk with others, about him. Your own perspective shifts because of what C.S. Lewis is saying. You get more when more is drawn out. Does that make sense? Okay. So let's get into some fun research I was looking at. I thought this was really cool. So I love how science always backs up God. Everywhere you go. I mean, it's really cool to see how the created world does this. So nature uh, studied 80,000 students. Okay. And they saw with these students... Their academic success was linked to social connection and the sharing of information. Pretty cool. Uh, Harvard. Harvard wanted to know what makes the best Harvard student. I mean, we're Harvard. We're hoity-toity. <laughs> if anyone's from Harvard, awesome. I could, is anyone? Just want to make sure I'm not in trouble for making fun. That's good. Yeah, I mean, if you're from Harvard, you're probably doing really well for yourself, and we should be friends. <laughs> So Harvard did this study, and they said, what are the indicators? They went through so much data. What are the indicators of a top student so we can recruit better? Yeah. So they said, okay, is it high school GPA? Well, no. Is it income, family income? No. Test scores? How much sleep you get? Uh, what your workload is, your course load, your extracurriculars? And they were scratching their heads. We cannot find a single predictor of what makes you a good student. We ran all these filters, and it all came out awash. And so someone suggested, why don't we look at their personalities? And sure enough, Harvard found that social connection is the single greatest indicator of academic and career success. Wow. Go figure. Yeah. Career success. They follow these people into their careers. They made more money yeah. wow. because they knew how to socially connect. It's not because they were smarter. 
you know, it's, it's, it's amazing how MIT did a study that said a team of average people who were unified outperformed a team of geniuses who didn't want to work together every time. So really, the kingdom doesn't grow only by how awesome you are. It grows because you add your awesomeness to the mix. And so unity is so much more important than what you can do on your own. You know, Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Now, has anyone ever tried to sharpen iron with iron? A little bit of friction, right? A little bit of sparks. So in order to sharpen the countenance of a friend, it's probably going to be sparks. Anyone thought about that? Anyone ever felt that? Like, I really don't want to have this conversation right now stuff. So it turns out that connection makes sense. It's needed on our path to discipleship. The issue isn't whether we should connect. It's why do we struggle? And so I don't know if you know this, but 10 out of 10 people have relationship issues. (laughs) It's true. We've all lived life. We've all had some relationship with, that ended in pain or has pain or has something. We've been hurt, right? We've, who's not been hurt relationally? Because you should be teaching this. <laughs> uh, but we've all been hurt. And so what happens is we build up these protective mechanisms. And we, we fly in the face of all that research. And the reason that research is so mind-blowing is because of what's happened over time. If you notice, our society praises self-sufficiency. You ever notice that? You ever notice that schools grade you on how balanced you are? That you can't be the highest, you can't be the smartest kid in the class unless you're good at everything. And really what they're doing is saying, you're so good at everything, you won't need others. You know, it's, it's glamorous to not need anyone. And that's rampant in our culture. And the devil loves that. He wants that separation. You know, it's 1 Corinthians 12, 22 through 23, Paul is actually talking about disunity in the church. And he's talking about the many parts of a body. But now, indeed, there are many members, yet one body. You know, and I cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again to the, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. Those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow great honor, and our unrepresentable parts have greater modesty. Paul is absolutely saying we're destined for unity, that the spirit of God itself is unity. And so if the spirit of God promotes community and unity, what spirit is behind self-sufficiency and social independence? Do you ever think about that? That the devil is hard at work keeping us separated because we will never fully grow and be discipled to achieve everything we talked about in the beginning that God has for us unless we come together, unless we help each other grow and cause each other to be encouraged and fulfill the mission that's ahead of us. So it's not just enough for you to show up. We want you to show up. The question is, are you ready to engage? Are you ready to receive? You know, it's, it's not just for your sake. The kingdom, the kingdom is relying on you. You're not just here to be along for the ride. God actually designed the church to receive its full inheritance when every one of you gets in the game. And so are you ready? But are you willing to overcome the obstacles that would have kept us from that? So we have to be ready to engage and to receive. Does that make sense? 
So talking about these relational things that have kept us from connecting, I think this is a cool place to camp on for a second because we've all gone through so much. But God understands every struggle. He knows every single thing that we've endured, every pain, every hurt. And he never would give you a command without the power to overcome what's in your way to do that. When he sent you on an assignment to be heirs of heaven, to be the light of the world, he knew exactly what you've been through, the things we say that disqualify ourselves, the pains we've gone through. And like I said, he doesn't just want to fulfill the identity of who you are, he, or I mean the things around you. He wants to fulfill the identity of who you are. God wants to give you every desire of your heart, but it will come from this place of restored identity. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.